Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, everyone. Just a little note for you before this episode starts. Some of you might have seen or heard in recent months about the documentary about Mike Ryder called Not in This Town, The Rise of the Old Gray Wolf. What you're about to hear took place after the premiere screening of the documentary, and it's hosted by Jeff Skin Wade. But before you listen to it, you're going to want to watch the documentary. Some of the stuff that's talked about in the Q&A has spoilers, so you're going to want to watch the documentary before you listen to the Q&A. How can you do that, you ask? It's simple. Go to theoldgraywolf.com, and you can buy it on demand and watch it right now. Then come back and listen to the Q&A, or just enjoy it right now. Enjoy the episode. Remember, go to theoldgraywolf.com to watch the documentary. If you think you know the answer, you might give the zoo a call right now at two. It's 5.30 in the morning and Mike Reiner is already at work. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you could make your way back to your seats, we're going to get the Q&A portion of the evening going. I think this Q&A will be good and lively. So first of all, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the director and producer and writer of this film, Crystal Vasquez. Wave to the crowd, Crystal, your adoring fans. And of course, there is no film without the old gray wolf, Mike Reiner. Hey guys. Hey. Is this thing on? All right. Am I flashing anybody? We guys ready to rock and roll? All right, beautiful. Um, I think the first place to start on this, Mike, is why in the hell did you let Crystal do a documentary about yourself? That is a great question. And believe me, I know she's heard this story a thousand times before. She probably doesn't like it that much, but it is what it is. And at first, I was very reluctant because I didn't know Crystal that well. She'd been up at the radio station a little bit doing this, doing that. And I pretty much thought she was a day tripper and was totally incapable of stringing together something this involved. And so I was reluctant for a little while, but she, showing one of her most remarkable attributes, stayed after it and kept badgering me about it and just stayed with it. And finally I saw that this chick has a little bit more stick to than I thought. So, okay, I'll sit down with her, we'll answer a few questions, 
And then I thought that would be that. Well, that was not that. Those questions led to more questions and then another session. And before long, I saw that she was serious about it. So, okay, if she is this serious about this, then I'm going to get all in. And I did. And you see the end game tonight. Absolutely. So uh, for those of you that don't know, maybe, you know, I know there's a lot of big ticket fans here and you've heard her on the station doing traffic and such, but your background is as a news person. You were here locally with Fox 4. I know you're in, is it Amarillo before? Yeah, Amarillo, ABC 7, and then Fox 4. Somehow, Somehow they hired me. I still haven't figured that out, but they hired me. So you have a news background, but you wanted to do documentaries. Why did you want to make a film about that guy right there? Why not? That is the question of the day. (laughs) No, I mean, I was surprised when I first was introduced to Reiner, and I went home and said, okay, who's this guy? So I Googled him. There were some articles about him and whatnot, but I said, there really needs to be somebody that dives deeper into his story, and especially if you can combine Keizu, the fact that he was born and raised in Dallas... And obviously the ticket, let's combine all that together. And no one did it, and I did it, and thank God he let me do it. (laughs) Did it really, really well. Sure did. One of the things that I've always liked about listening to the station and specifically listening to the hard line is, you know, I've told you this before, I listened to LaBelle and Rhodey when I was 10 and 11 years old. So I've always known who Mike Reiner was, and you're a real interesting filter or funnel or entry point for the history of Dallas media in a lot of ways to me. You know, I think of a lot of all the things you've been through and all the things that you've been a part of, and I think she did a really good job of showcasing the history and how you fit into that history. What were you thinking as you're watching this film in a room full of people and you're seeing it on the stage about going back in time and, and reliving some of those things on the screen. Well, the main thing I was thinking was that it was really neat to see all that in one place at one time. And before this, I really hadn't, it really hadn't dawned on me just how much I had been a part of, how much I was aware of, how much it still stayed with me and how much I'd been influenced by everything that I'd seen before and how much of that had followed me into my, you know, later day career. That was the main thing for me. What was it like going back to the old neighborhood and going to the, seeing Wanda and Daryl, I believe it is. Yes, Wanda and Daryl Underwood. Yeah, and then going back to the elementary school, what, what kind of emotions did that stir up? Um... Pretty strong ones. It was great seeing Daryl and Wanda because, I mean, we moved out of that neighborhood in 1963, and I had not seen them since then. Oddly enough, their daughter, for a while, was a ticket chick. What? <laughs> yes. Yes, their daughter, for a while, was a ticket chick. And you want to talk about a mind blow? She came up to me one day and told me who she was. She told me she was Tammy Underwood, the daughter of Daryl and Wanda. And here she was out at a remote with the hard line being a ticket chick. And I just thought, oh my God, where have I gone wrong? (laughs) 
Did she look more like Daryl or Wanda? <laughs> uh, not Daryl. Okay. Not Daryl, but not Wanda either. I, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, she kind of had her own thing going on. Yeah, she, yeah, she kind of had her own thing going on. <laughs> uh, Crystal, I want to know about organizing a movie like this. Like you're telling, it's so interesting to me because I think a lot of people are like, okay, I'm going to go watch a ticket movie, but you're not watching a ticket movie. You're watching a movie about the life of Mike, but Mike is obviously so interwoven in the history of the ticket. So how do you go about telling this story and gathering this information and, and putting this thing together? If you watch the film, which we all just did, it was narrated by Mike Reiner. So I didn't really have to do anything. I just had to show up and orchestrate it and ask some questions. No, 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 that's not true. You had to determine where things stopped and where things started, what mattered, what didn't, and you did a masterful job of that. Don't sell yourself short. Here. I don't know if I can answer that question, Jeff, because it's something you just feel. You know, I, I, I edited that piece and I went back you know, a hundred times and said, okay, I'm going to move this here, move this there. As far as the orchestration of it, it's just something you feel. You watch it, and you watch it, and you consume it, you sleep, and then you wake up and you say, okay, I didn't like that there, I'm going to move it there. So it's just something that comes to you. I don't, I'm, I don't know if it's a gift or just, I don't know. Just a feel. That's what it is. Yeah, it's a feeling. It's, it's just a, a feel. Yeah. Just a vibe. Yeah, Mike, was... Mike felt all over me. It was just a feel. <laughs> was there a... Uh -oh. <laughs> was there a moment uh, in shooting this thing or editing this thing where you were like, oh, shit, I've got something here? I believe so. I think, well, Mike went on record and said that he didn't really believe in me at first, and nor should he have. And I think when I got Dale Hansen and I got Brad Sham, thank you for being here this evening. Give it up for Brad Sham. Yes. Thank you for being here, Brad Sham. Let me tell you something about Brad Sham. Brad Sham's fingerprints, even though he is, and I told him this on Twitter last night, Brad Sham never worked at the ticket, but his fingerprints are all over the radio station because so many of the guys up there were under him at KRLD and interned at KRLD or did this or that at KRLD. So many of the guys that are there now and have been through there cut their teeth at KRLD and by doing so, they learned under him, and his fingerprints are all over this thing. And besides that, as if that's not enough, I believe he was the first guy, I don't know if he was the first guy, but he was the one I listened to most that was doing sports talk radio in this town back in, in, at Sports Central at KRLD. So huge influence on me and everybody else. And the ticket probably is not the way it is were it not for the great Brad Sham. That is so old school radio too to have something called Sports Central. Oh, so old school. So old school and radio. I just love it. If I ever do another show, I'm going to call it Sports Central. <laughs> and you, you guys share a birthday, right? We do. How weird is that? Brad Sham and Mike Reiner share the same birthday. Must be something magical about that. Was there um, anything that you watched tonight that made you uncomfortable? No, not really. There's nothing that I couldn't live with. If 
there had been, I probably would have spoken to Crystal about it, and I would imagine I could have gotten something done about it, but, you know, I'm not proud of everything we did and the way we always acted back in the day, but, you know, it is what it is, and I did it, and I said it, and I have to live with it. As you're, as you're watching that stuff, I, you know, I think the thing that, and we'll get to it, the what happened at Mockingbird, but as you're watching that film and you're seeing the old footage get together with the new footage, what are the things that really stand out to you about the early days of the ticket? I, I imagine we saw some of it on the screen, but what really stands out to you about how that thing took off and how it all fell into place? The main thing that stood out is the fact that Nobody thought we could do this. I mean, back then, I adopted a real hardcore, it's us against the world mentality. And I tried to instill that into all the other guys. I told them over and over again, nobody thinks we can do this. Everybody thinks we are destined to fail. We got to show them. And seeing some of that stuff really put me back in that place and the mindset that we adopted and the way that we all banded together and fought through it was truly, truly extraordinary and something that I don't think anybody is ever going to be able to, to stir up again anywhere. Yeah, give it up for that. It is truly incredible, and, and it's been around so long. You know, I'll get to some of the questions that people emailed in, but, but one guy had emailed in a question, you know, as part of you leaving, as part of it knowing that the station's in good hands and, you know, seeing guys like Jake come up and, and, and knowing that there's a new, a new element of, you know, guys coming in for what you've built, what, what all went into the decision to retire and how are you feeling about it six months later, I guess we are. Oh, uh, well, none of that went into it for sure. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking too much about what might happen to it after I left. I was being very selfish about it and thinking only about what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do was follow my heart. And my heart was telling me it was time for me to get out of there. Now, as things have turned out, the station is still in good hands. I like seeing that because right or wrong, good or bad, for, or whatever anybody might want to say about it, my fingerprints are still all over that place, and they always will be. And I don't want to see it fail. I mean, that's my legacy there. And I want to see it stay strong and stay the way it always has been. So I'm very happy to see that that they've been able to carry on and really not miss much of a step. Crystal, you, I know you, I don't know if you completely grew up here, but I know you spent a good chunk of time here. So you're aware of the ticket and then you get in broadcasting and then you work at the ticket. So as you're doing this documentary about Mike, was there things that you had no idea about the ticket that you learned throughout the course of this that stand out to you? I was not aware of the Grego situation. I didn't, Admittingly, I wasn't, a, I'm not a P1. Um, but, but I think that's good to tell the P1 story or to tell Mike's story is that I have kind of a looking on the outside trying to tell someone's story. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't know about the Grego situation. So when I kind of did some research on, on Reiner and said, okay, this is what I want to do, 
I heavily researched the ticket and the backstory and read everything I could possibly read. And the whole Mike and Greg O situation was, was I think, probably the most captivizing, captivating yep. um, issue of, of that. Uh, and I, I like the New York sports talk radio, so Mike and the Mad Dog, to me, there was a, a great symbolism there. Um, so I could pull from that. And so, yeah, that was something I did not know. And, and the fact that actually when the ticket was... Uh, was created, there was three people in the LLC, and I have that LLC at home that Spence Kendrick gave me. It's George, or uh, Jeff Dunbar, Mike Re Michael Reiner, and Spence Kendrick. So just the fact that it was a three-person uh, radio station, now it's owned by Cumulus, it, it's quite different from what it was back in 1994. Right. Uh, we're talking about Grego now, so let's talk about Grego. Sorry, I brought that up. No, 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 no. I, I like where we're going here. Uh, I think that's the thing that probably big ticket fans will be talking about the most after seeing this. There's a lot of good stuff in the film. Uh, as you're sitting there amongst P1s and friends and they're watching all this, what, did you have any change of emotion about the Grego situation? Did it strike you any particular way? Um, only in the sense that probably more was illuminated about that situation in this film than ever has been before. Right. There's been more shown here and more talked about here and more detail delved into here than we were ever able to on the air. Or either, I don't know if it was that we were able to do it or just chose to do it that way, but for whatever reason, we never got into it in the kind of detail that it was gotten into here. So. You guys definitely learned a lot more about that, that scene here than you ever have tonight. I would imagine that stayed with you guys, right? Pretty powerful stuff. Everyone's going to want to know what went on at that shoot. How much would you like to tell us about that? Um, he and I have not talked at all since then. And my stance has always been that, okay, that's it. I don't ever want to have anything to do with them again. And that's all well and good except for one thing, and this is something most people don't know about me and that you may not, you may find as somewhat surprising. I'm not real good with grudges. And generally speaking, a little time will take care of a lot of things. And I, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever really want to have that much to do with him or not, but I didn't mind that shoot. I didn't mind being around him. And I felt a little bit differently about him than I thought I would. I would In what way? Um, I don't know, I was just a little bit more open to his presence. There was a time when if, uh, if I were around him, I'd get out of there, you know? Either he would get out of there or I would get out of there, but one way or the other, we weren't going to be around each other. And this time, I didn't mind being around him. Now, it's easy to say, well, yeah, you didn't mind being around him because you wanted to use him in your documentary. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see what happens the next time I'm around him, see how I feel about it then. 
Well, the thing that's interesting to me about that is, you know, Grego's been very public about he's dying to reconcile with you or reconnect with you or any of those sorts of things. I mean, I wonder if Grego had been here tonight watching the film, what that would have been like being in the same room with him, how he would have felt about that, how you would have felt with him watching that, because that's that part of the movie is his very painful story. Yeah. Like, you guys endured it, right? but in the middle of a documentary about you, we're just watching the pain of this guy that, yeah. quite frankly, shit it all away. Right. It's all about him. Yeah. You know, all that is about him, and that's a great question. And I don't have a real good answer for that. I don't know how I would have felt about it. You're obviously aware, though, about, like, how old-time P1s are just dying for that. Yeah. Like, that's a very nostalgic, important thing to them. They have made that known over the years. Ad, ad infinitum, ad nauseum. And all I can tell you is maybe someday. I don't know. We'll see. Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you used your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. What were you thinking as you were there for all that? So when I first got Mike to sign off on me doing the documentary, the first person I said I'm going to get is Greg Williams. And I got it without Mike knowing it. I told you this. And so I interviewed Greg, and I talked to some people in the film, and I said, hey, what what do you think would happen if I got Grego? They said, don't do that. You know, Mike would hate you. You know, Mike and Greg are not cool. And I didn't tell Mike about it, and I waited a couple weeks, and then I said, how would you feel if I got Grego in this? He said, do it. I mean, he's, he's half of my story, essentially, for the ticket. And I did it, and 
called Greg and he was all about it. And that shoot at Mockingbird that you guys saw just now, um, it, was, uh, it was interesting, right, Mike? It was interesting because there was no real banter and repartee between us other than me telling him what needed to happen here. But he was amenable to it. I was nice to him. And, and we left it on probably about as cool a terms as we could, as there could have been. That almost sounds like the last four or five years of your show, the way Corby was explaining it in the film. I mean, there's like a tension and an awkwardness. You do the thing and then you go your separate ways. Pretty much. Pretty much. That's how it was. That is not inaccurate at all to say that. What can you? Uh, what would you say was the general feeling at the station at the time when the Grego thing was clearly? I know it had been going on for a while, but when it completely imploded and he was off the air, what was the the mood of the station like at that time? Well, at that time, the station was pretty well. In fact, it was extremely well established, and I don't think anybody saw it as anything that was going to take the station under. It really didn't affect any of the other shows other than ours. And I think everybody else is thinking, well, okay, those boys will figure something out. And if they bring somebody else from the outside in there, they'll make it work. If they don't, they'll make that work. So we were going to truck on, man. You know, radios, as you well know, is all a game about you just keep on keeping on. Was there a... Uh favorite part of this documentary for you? Am I, is my mic on now? That's oh, okay. okay. Uh, John Rohde from K's. Oh, <laughs> that was my favorite part. You know what, though? It's, there's a lot to pull from the ticket, because obviously Mike identifies with, with the ticket, but I, if you want to know, I think, and Mike, you could probably agree with this, where a lot of your tenacity and cantankerousness came from might have been John Rohde. I mean, how influential was Rohde to your radio career? I can't quantify it. I absolutely cannot quantify it. Probably about the best thing I can say about Johnny is there are a few people that I've known in this game that I can honestly say I've never seen anything like them. Mm -hmm. um, Gordon Keith is one of those. <laughs> and Johnny is another because he is the only guy I've ever known who, if you needed him to, he could take a station that does not exist, go out to the transmitter, put it all together, get it on the air, go back to the station, do morning drive, take care of all the administrative shit that you have, have to do at a radio station, and if there's more maintenance needed at the transmitter, he can go out there and do that. I mean, he can set it up and get it going from stem to stern. He's incredible like that. Yeah, it's really extraordinary. And when I talked to Ken Rundle, who was the first guy that hired Mike in the radio biz, <laughs> you guys dated the same woman, right? Yeah, we did. All right, was that, was that the very tall woman that was in the picture with him, with Ken? 
That's Joan Baez. Really? Joan yeah. Baez. Yeah, that would be Joan Baez. I thought you were a music guy. Did you ever date know. Joan Baez? I did not. You didn't? I did not, but I would like to. Yeah. How freaking tall or short is Ken Rundle if she's six inches taller than he him? He is quite diminutive. All Those right. midgets that we were talking about at the road shows, that okay. was Ken Rundle. Is Joan Baez tall? I had no idea. She seems like she was towering. I have never been curious about her height. I'm shocked by it. I, I'm always very thrown off when someone is eight inches taller than the person next to them, especially if it's Joan Baez well, in this case. You certainly had that working with Ken Rundle and Joan Baez, didn't you? All right, I'll go home and look up some Joan Baez pictures. Um, but yeah, the, the zoo stuff is all very interesting, and I guess I always thought P1 meant preset one. I didn't even know what the hell Parallel 1 was until I saw it in this movie. Yeah, it was Parallel... It's, it's, it's Parallel 1. That's... The, I believe it was coined by Radio and Records, R&R, &R, as mm -hmm. it's known in the game. That's kind of a radio trade magazine. And I think that that's what they called it back then. Is the, uh, the advent of ticket listeners calling themselves P1s, how early in the evolution of the station was that? When did you start talking about that stuff on air? How'd that come to be? It was fairly early in the evolution of the station. And I'd forgotten about it for years and years, but one day I saw something, I don't remember what, but something that brought the term P1 to my attention. And we were doing some sort of contest or something like that. And I came on the air and I was, I was talking it up and I was saying, now you may be saying to yourself, okay, how can I, the P1, get it on something like this? Well, I'll tell you how you can. And... I just had that golden bulb of enlightenment going over my head, so I kept saying it and saying it over and over again and brought P1 out in the mainstream, and next thing you know, boom, it's out there everywhere. It's really cool how those things sort of happen organically because so much of my memories, at least of the early days of the ticket, is listener involvement and listeners taking on part of what's happening on the air, and it, then it becomes this culture and this whole other thing. I mean, for like a really cool part of the movie is the drop tune stuff, for example, and just the way listeners take on aspects of the station and build the culture of the station from the outside looking in to kind of use her phrase from earlier. Was there any moment in the, or, or parts in the early days of the station where you feel like, man, we've built this sort of cult thing here? Like, how did you know that was happening? Uh, probably started during Fact Spotter, you know? If yes. you remember Fact Spotter, oh, that's absolutely. probably where that started. And more and more over a period of time, I would be out amongst the masses and I would run into people who knew who I was and they would come up to me and, and they would talk in jargon that they had heard on the station, usually coming from me. Yeah. And I then started to realize, hey, we're connecting with these guys in a real next level way here. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much, that, that pretty much was the genesis of it. It took off from there, and before long, everybody else on the station had adopted it, and, and that's, how, that's how that all came about. And there's also this really great wild card factor. You mentioned Gordo and how he sort of fused all the shows together because he was on separate shows, and he just had this weird level of insanity, and he wasn't even a sports guy, which 
made it ultra unique and interesting. Someone had emailed in a question, who was responsible for hiring the great Gordo? I don't know if anybody was really. Was he ever officially hired? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. I know that there were many times I was ready to kick him to the curb, but he wouldn't leave. <laughs> I mean, he literally wouldn't leave. He just kept hanging around and hanging around, and he was looking for a toehold up there anywhere. And he eventually found one with the musers, and the rest, as they say, is brilliant history. It is brilliant history. So, yeah, give it up. I, and I remember so well when you guys had moved to the afternoons and the musers had moved to the mornings and he was doing both, doing characters on both shows. Obviously, there was a moment where he was like, I'm just going to do the morning show. How did you feel about that? I was not thrilled. I liked having him on our show, but I felt like we could probably carry on without him better than they could. Mm -hmm. So I was okay with that. Yeah. I, I mean, but there's a lot. Just fact. It is a fact. It is a fact. I mean, at that time, our show was far better established and far more entrenched with the listener base than theirs was. It's, it's touched on in the documentary, but the idea of Grego being the quote-unquote breakout star... Uh, or the guy that people latched onto, and I think there's that really interesting clip where you chose number 16 as, as half of Grego, but there was times where I would listen and hear you say things and think, it, it, does Mike, is Mike saying this about Grego on air, like, genuinely, or is he somewhat bitter about Grego being this big personality? How did you feel, personally, when Grego was becoming someone that people were latching on to? I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I was hoping one of us would break out, but my personality was not real well defined at that time. I hadn't found it yet. He had. He was the first guy at the radio station to really break out in that way. I, I don't think the, the musers had either, you know? Right, right, right. But he was the one guy we had who, when you mentioned Grego out there to somebody who listened to the ticket, they knew what he was. They knew who he was. The rest of us were trying to find our way. I think there's a real interesting aspect aside from his personality at the time being so exaggerated. You know, we live in the Dallas-Fort Worth, North Texas area, and there's a lot of people listening that probably their tone of their voice and their accent sounded a whole hell of a lot more like Grego than anybody else on the station at the time, too. And that helped. Yeah. In no small way. You know, there was a certain element of the audience that we probably needed to appeal to. And I think that it was, it was very handy to have somebody that sounded more like them on there than any of the rest of us did. Did you, Crystal, have a favorite interview from the people that you got in the film to talk about, Mike? They're all really good. I mean, John Rohde, though, I think he added a different element in referring to Parallel One and bringing up Hunt James. <laughs> Never lie on your back while having sex. <laughs> I mean, oh he gosh. wrote the script, no, and that it was I'm like a proud of <laughs> a precursor for the ticket. Um, I think for me, just to be able to capture Greg, and I hate to, you know, keep bringing it up, but I think it is. I think it. I think it is so imperative that 
he was represented in this film because he essentially was married to Mike for, what was it, 13 years? Yeah. And my microphone died earlier. I think Greg was trying to haunt me up here. But, um, you know, if I could touch on that shoot that we had. Yes, please. Uh, my heart was beating so fast. And I told Mike, I said, hey, man, when you get here, call me because I'm going to be down or upstairs on the fifth floor of Mockingbird interviewing Greg. So call me when you get in. I'll run down, mic you up because I want to capture the organic moment of you two seeing each other for the first time in 13 years. Well, Mike doesn't follow directions very well. So he goes up the elevator and as we're shooting Mike, or I'm sorry, as we're shooting Greg, the elevator doors open and it walks Mike. And so you kind of ruined my interview with Greg, but that's okay. Sorry. (laughs) I'll make it up to you somewhere along the line. So, uh, so Greg walks in and then, uh, or Mike walks in and it was tense. I felt the tension for the first 20 minutes. Um, they were kind of snapping at each other, more Mike toward Greg. I think Greg reverted back to that time when, when he was, you know, a sidekick to Mike. And I think he kind of reverted back to those, those ways and thought that it was as it was and Mike made pretty clearly it's not. Um, but as that time passed, we were together for about an hour and a half. After the first 20, 30 minutes, um, I saw some really cool moments between you two that I wish I could have shared with more people, but um, it was... It we seemed, warmed it up, up a little bit. Yeah, you guys talked about that, the commercial you shot with the fake Jerry yeah. that was in the documentary. Sure. Yeah, we warmed up a little bit. It was not completely 100% tension or anything like that. Besides, I mean, look, he was doing me a solid here. You know, I wanted him in this documentary. He could have told me, shit, no, I'm not going to do your documentary for you. Well, but let me, he didn't. Let me ask you, Mike, because when I first approached you with this idea for the documentary, I didn't mention Greg at all. And then as time evolved and we built this camaraderie, I asked you about Greg, about if there's ever a chance you and him could get back together in any form or fashion, and you said likely not. What made you change your mind to tell me yes to go ahead and execute this? Because we needed him. I mean, you can't tell the story of the ticket without him in it. He was such a big part of it that he's got to be in it. And if that means that I've got to comport, okay, I will comport to tell the story. You realize there's going to be people that see this are like, oh, shit, well, I guess Mike and Greg can get back together and he can jump on square one with Mike Reiner on the podcast or you guys can do something together sometime and you have a wry smile on your face right now. Is it? Did you feel any rekindling to where, all right, we can do something else, well, even if it's small, even if it's an interview? We'll see. Yes. That, my friends, is a radio tease. And, of course, we have to know, do you like Dale Hansen? He doesn't think that you do. He told us. The hell? (laughs) I love Dale Hansen. That's my favorite stuff is Dale and Brad and Randy is my favorite stuff. That's great. Yeah, but I don't know where Dale gets off on thinking I don't like him. (laughs) That's crazy. Well, you quoted that in an article. You, you said all this nice I, things I, about I, him. I, I say a lot of shit I don't mean. <laughs> you said this is coming from a guy that doesn't even like Dale Hansen. Uh, I say a lot of shit I don't mean. 
<laughs> I love that picture of you and Randy. I love hearing Randy talk about you. I think that I think that's one of the best things in there too. Man, I really. All right, I'll go ahead and say this. I really want to get Randy on the podcast. Do it. I really want to do that. He I don't would know love if he'll that. Do it, but I really, I, I want to try. I, I don't know if he'll do it or not. Randy, once Randy, once we got moved into afternoon drive, the idea of us going up against Randy was probably the most daunting challenge that we faced during my time at the radio station. Because at that time, Randy was doing sports at six on WBAP. And, all right, we'll go back and open up a chapter that I'll bet you didn't know. Back in the late 80s, I was working at WBAP as a low-level sports minion over there. And they brought Randy in to do sports at six like one night a week. Believe it was Tuesday night that he did it. Well, when he did it on Tuesday night, their ratings were through the roof. And any other time that he wasn't do it, that wasn't doing it, the man over there in the chair against the wall, who I believe was still on the gig at KRLD, maybe, maybe not. He killed him. But when Randy did it, then he had his hands full with Randy. And they started trying to get Randy to do sports at six, five nights a week. Well, Randy was working at the Dallas Morning News back then. Randy is newspaper first, first and foremost. He's a newspaper guy. Always has been, probably always will be. So he was kind of against that because back then in the newspaper world, it was really kind of uncool to do radio. That was just kind of something you did as a, you know, side gig, a day trip, whatever. But it was never something that you would consider doing, you know, all the time. Well, they stayed after him, and stayed after him, and stayed after him. And finally, he capitulated. But that meant they were going to have to come up with some money. And that meant when they have to come up with some money, they have to get rid of any and all extemporaneous personnel. Well, guess who one of those extemporaneous personnel was? Hello. <laughs> death to the minion. Yes, death to the minion. I will so I, was, I got my ass kicked to the curb so they could bring Galloway on full time. Wow. <laughs> so how good did it feel when y'all were kicking his ass in the ratings? Um, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Maybe a, little, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little too much. I'm assuming everyone in here realizes, too, that Grego was Randy's producer for a period of time. You guys all realize that? And then Grego left that to come do the hard line with you. And then yes, you guys were yes. I talked Grego into bolting WBAP to come do this little wild-ass, crazy-ass startup idea I had on us. Uh, with a bunch of guys that had never done it before. Pretty awesome stuff, man. It turned out that way, didn't it? It sure did. It sure did. I will say this about Randy Galloway. After I left Randy's house, after I did his interview with them, he texted me. I invited him tonight, but unfortunately, he uh, says he no longer does events unless it's for the Texas Radio Sports Hall of, or the Texas Sports <laughs> Hall of Fame. 
And uh, he did mention that he is going, Randy Galloway is a member of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, is going to nominate Mr. Mike Reiner here um, in the next four years when, those, when, the, when the panel gets their vote. So that's quite an endorsement from, from How Randy. How about that? That's a mind blow. If you can't beat them, nominate them or something like that. Something Maybe, like yeah, that. Who could even know? Um, well, it's, uh, it's about time that we start to wrap this Q&A up. Um, is there anything, and I'll start with you, Crystal, is there anything that you'd like folks here tonight to know about the process, what it meant to you, what it was like watching it with a room full of people that were clearly digging it? I'm in no way going to sit here tonight and try to compare my, my career with, with Mr. Reiner, but uh, when he... Nobody believed in what he was doing at the ticket. I mean, he went against status quo and, and did it and didn't really fear the consequences of it failing. And he got people to believe in him. And with my documentary that you guys saw tonight, there's no reason this guy should have believed in me. You know, I had a low-level TV and radio career here in this market that obviously didn't work out too well. But... Um, you know, somehow through the process, he believed in me, and um, I think that he's expressed that to me before because there was one time uh, I met with him in February and asked him to do this documentary, and he was on board, but he wasn't on board, and it took a few weeks, and, you know, me getting Brad Sham and Dale Hansen and Greg Williams and these John Rohde, it got those people, and then he said, okay, this is, this is serious. Uh, we met up one time, and I'll never forget this, Mike. Um, you looked at me and you said, you know, there are people that don't believe in you. And they think that you are a day tripper, you're, you're, you know, you can't pull this off. He goes, I believe in you. He goes, let's, let's kick ass and let's shock the world. And so what about it? Did we shock the world or what? And just for the record, I do believe in this girl. This girl will ask anybody for anything at any time. She's got balls. She is just incredible. Give it up for and Crystal Vasquez. If you've ever got a, if you got anything that you need a documentary done on, get her on board. You will not be sorry. So then, what are you two guys going to work on next? You're going to produce a documentary with Crystal. What, what, what's on tap, man? You gonna go further into the film business here? I follow my lead from her. She's my leader. I go where she tells me. If right. she needs me to do anything, I will. Coming up next, Crystal convinces Mike to do another film. Um, thank you guys for coming out. Not only did you see something really cool tonight, you also donate, uh, donated some money to save our stages, which I know means a lot to a man that gigs all the time. Crystal is also a musician, and uh, there's a lot of great local bands who donated music to the film. So uh, thank you guys for coming out. It means a lot uh, to Crystal and Mike. Heck, it means a lot to me, too. So thank you for coming out. Enjoy your evening. And hey, tell everybody you know about this movie and when it's available on Video On Demand, and it will be available on Video On Demand. Make sure and let everybody know about it because I think more people need to see this. So thanks for coming out. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, 
has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.